Hi, everyone. Welcome to the March 25th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. Yesterday, RTD announced it will be making changes to Union Station in an effort to address, quote, unwelcome behavior. Updates will include lighting repair, the cleaning and reopening of restrooms, and covering electrical outlets. As always, we start with Patty Cahoon from Westward. We've been trying to uh, curtail unwelcome behavior for over 30 years on this show. Uh, maybe we need RTD to help us out with this. Do you think RTD's changes are going to help with what's happening at Union Station? They can't hurt. And I was exhibiting plenty of unwelcome behavior there Wednesday night. We should have seen some of this coming because when Union Station became the multimodal transit area, everyone focused on the front of Union Station where you have the Great Hall, where you have all the restaurants. There's no problem there. And we really need a map so people understand what we're talking about when the DPD talks about crime outside Union Station. Most of it is behind Union Station where the bus terminal was put in. The bus terminal used to be at 16th and Market. And so they did the underground buses coming in and no one really thought back in the early, what, 2012 when it was probably designed, that that was gonna be a problem for people coming in. Even then we had a lot of people experiencing homelessness in Denver, people who needed a place to come in out of the cold. They thought about that when they arranged the Great Hall. RTD really didn't think about that when they set up that long, long tunnel coming in. I don't know why it's gonna take them six months to a year to figure out how to get turnstiles in. Uh, you can just put a security guard there. There's a security guard if you wanna to go to the bathroom in the Great Hall, and they seem quite effective. I don't know why it's gonna take that long to get an area for paying customers, but they can work it out. What the city's gonna to need to do is really set up, I think, a lot of services by that area where many of the homeless have gone since Civic Center Park closed. Maybe portable bathrooms, maybe um, ways to get vouchers. Put some of the services there so we can figure out who really needs help and who is preying on the helpless. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. David, it seems, I, I get it that it's a transit hub, so you start with RTD, but this feels like you're gonna need kind of a, a multi-jurisdictional approach if it's really going to work. What do you think? Um, well, the, the jurisdiction that, that exists is, is RTDs, so they've got to do it, and they do it in cooperation with the Denver Police Department. Um, some things Patty said, I agree, won't, can't hurt, like replacing burned-out lights. You would think you wouldn't need to have some crisis, you know, a, a competent regional transportation district. I mean, I, I realize that's a bizarre hypothetical. But in any case, they would be replacing the lights on a normal basis anyway. And then they're gonna have pre-recorded announcements to discourage unwanted activities. Please do not deal fentanyl in the bus loading area. You know, who is that gonna stop from doing unwanted activities? And some of these changes are gonna hurt the traveling publics. Covering up electrical outlets. You know, a teenager's taking the bus home late at night after a night in, in Denver and her, her cell phone's low, but if she charges it, she can send a text to her parents and tell her, I'm on the 1115 bus won't be able to do that anymore. And then we're gonna make the concourse area like an airport concourse, where it used to be until people started hijacking planes, you could just walk to your gate. Then you had to go through security, but you, you, you didn't have to have a ticket to go through security. You could just pass through and, and meet someone like an unaccompanied minor who was getting off the plane or the bus. Now that's going to be impossible. So this is another situation of public spaces being taken away from the public by criminals, whether they're airplane hijackers or the more numerous type of criminals, type of criminals uh, we find at Union Station. 
Penfield Tate joins us, an attorney with Tate Law, also a former state lawmaker. Penn, it's great to have you back here. Um, you know, it's it's making me think that with you know recorded announcements at the beginning of airplane. You know, there's no mugging in the white zone. No, it's the red zone with no mugging. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but is enough resource are enough resources being applied to this problem? Um, they aren't, but more will be applied. But uh, but I think the more important issue is. The situation at Union Station is a symptom, and, and we spend far too much time chasing symptoms in this city. The fundamental problem is the lack of affordable, attainable housing and the, the, the ongoing failure for over a decade to significantly create a comprehensive plan to deal with the unhoused. Regrettably, Union Station is sort of the victim here. They just happen to have a large public facility that we all wanted that's multimodal, and because it's a public facility, it is open to the public, which includes the unhoused, and sometimes people doing unwanted things. So sure, fix the lights, make announcements, increase security, even put in turnstiles, but understand that until there is a comprehensive approach that is effective and meaningful in dealing with creating more attainable, affordable housing and dealing with the unhoused, you can't provide enough security or spend enough money because you're just chasing a symptom. And Marianne Goodland completes the panel, chief legislative reporter with Colorado Politics. Marianne, it's great to have you here. You know, the, regarding media and covering the story, it was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, news becoming reality where the CBS4 team with Kelly Worthman and her uh, photographer go to cover the crime problem at Union Station and her photographer was assaulted in the media in the middle of the report. It's, it's getting a little too weird uh, as you're looking at what is at least being proposed to address this problem. What do you think? The thing that bothers me the most about this is that this problem has been going on for a decade. This is this is nothing new, and and I think it also calls for more accountability from the RTD board, who sat back and and at least publicly or at least on its face, it didn't seem like they were actually doing anything about it, and to the point of it taking six to nine months or six months to a year to handle some of this, seems very bizarre to me. Um, these these are things that should have been done years ago, and it's disappointing to see a publicly elected board dragging their feet on addressing this problem. The 2022 Colorado Legislative Session hit a new gear this week. The State House advanced bills that include a cap on rent increases for mobile home parks and a bill that would officially establish the Universal Preschool Program approved by voters in 2020. The Senate followed the lead from, that, from the House in approving a bill that would codify the right to an abortion in Colorado law, sending the bill to Governor Polis. David, we start with you on this one. It's kind of that season right now. We know that the time is running short. We're past the midway point for the legislature. From what you saw this week, uh, what, what stood out to you as the big headlines? What an incredibly regressive uh, political majority controls the legislature right now. Rent control is one of the few things on which you can get almost all economists across the political spectrum to agree. It's a highly destructive policy because when you cap rents, that means that some landlords can't afford to do the necessary maintenance and repairs. It means that m more landlords can't afford to make any improvements. So it ends up constricting, restricting, and eventually leading to the deterioration and destruction of housing stock and others choosing never to create the housing stock in the first place because uh, they don't want to be subject to rent control. So it's an anti-affordable housing policy that benefits a few people in the short run and 
very harmful in the long run. Universal preschools, sounds like a great idea. Univer Vanderbilt University's 50-year study compared students who went to government-run preschools that are operated like the public school systems with all the same restrictions compared to kids who didn't go to preschool at all. They found measurably negative effects from government preschools. Trace, taking students all the way through sixth grade, following up, lower test scores, more major discipline, more minor discipline. So this is a harmful program that's being created, even though other preschools can, can be and are effective. Uh, the abortion bill, on the one hand, codifies the current situation in Colorado, where there, there are essentially no restrictions and it doesn't change that. But then there's the section three in there that says a fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have an independent or derivative rights under the laws of this state. What that means is a member of the human species, eight and a half months old, in utero has no protection from an assault. Like if somebody comes up and attacks the pregnant mother with a baseball bat and kills the fetus, the state of Colorado's view is fetus, you have no rights at all, the state is bound to respect. That gives human beings in this state fewer rights than a cat or a horse. Penn, you've been a part of these kinds of seasons of the legislature where you know a lot of big bills come, and we've seen some pretty heavy bills that just by themselves early in the session would have their own headline. Now we have a handful of them the same week. Your thoughts as we enter this very busy season for the legislature? Yeah, and this is the busy season, and on top of that, the long bill is about to be introduced, so we'll be dealing with the budget shortly, and that basically brings everything to a grinding halt for at least two weeks. But, you know, these are important measures, sort of in reverse order from David. Um, Coloradans have been real clear over the years about their desire and their intent to respect a woman's right to choose. And I think in large measure, the abortion bill from, in the legislature is an attempt to sort of send a political and public signal in response to much of the anti-abortion legislation we see in places like Texas and in other states. Uh, there are parts of it that are problematic, but I, I have to confess, I don't think I've seen a perfect piece of legislation, except some of the stuff that I carried. It was probably <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, the universal preschool program, you know, the, the devil's going to be in the details. Coloradans have clearly indicated it's something they wanted. And I think what we've seen since the pandemic and the desire to try to get people back to work is that some sort of affordable, significant, and useful, substantively useful child care that helps not just watch a child, but develops and nurtures and helps prepare them for life is necessary. How the program gets implemented uh, is going to be important. And the mobile uh, home bill and, and rent control, I, I disagree vehemently with David on this one, no surprise, I guess, um, because it relies on the presumption that landlords raise rent because they want to reinvest in their properties and make them more habitable and better. And in fact, the reason why you have slumlords is because they raise the rents and pocket the difference. Um, in a place where we've had a huge issue regarding lack of affordable, attainable housing, to the extent communities have given some of these mobile park operators over the years incentives and other benefits in order to both create the park and sustain them, it's appropriate to respond and say, you know what, you can't just, once you've taken the benefit of all this, you can't price people out of their homes. Marianne, you are our person right there seeing all the fur fly in person. Uh, from what you've seen and the headlines we've seen this week, what do we need to know? 
Well, first of all, the, as you mentioned, the abortion bill is headed to the governor for signing. Uh, the, the debate on that one, I think, was really interesting because we haven't seen an actual debate about abortion on the floor of the House or Senate for, I think, by my estimate, about 19 years. So this wound up uh, being a, a, a debate that took place over about 66 hours over the course of a couple of weeks. It was the most divisive uh, debate that I've seen in a very, very long time. Um, as to the other things that are coming up, yes, the, the long bill is going to drop next Monday. Everything's going to come to a halt, including any discussion of fentanyl, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, the, another bi big bill that came out this week was on marijuana in the workplace. And the bill would have uh, directed employers that they could not terminate an employee for uh, using marijuana off hours. And for those who use medical marijuana, that would have been allowed during the workday. The bill got into trouble early. One of the sponsors dropped out in, uh, in the last days before the, the bill came up for hearing. In the end, in an effort to salvage it, the sponsors tried to turn it into a study, but a study with a predetermined outcome. And as a result, that went down in flames on uh, Thursday night. We have got an awful lot of very big issues coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've got a major recycling bill coming along. There's a bill on collective bargaining that uh, is now in draft form and, and on the verge of being introduced. And a bill known as the Power Act that has to do with labor relations is also still in the works. And, and I anticipate a lot of very late nights. <laughs> Patty, I think uh, a lot of people would describe the entire session as crazy season, but this is the crazier than usual season for the legislature. What stood out to you with the headlines this week? Well, certainly the abortion bill, because as you have Arizona banning abortions after the 15th week, you suddenly have Colorado saying, no, we are going to protect basically the road we started on back in 67 when Dick Lamb pushed the first legislation to give women choice. Uh, another bill that hasn't come up, and unfortunately, it w was responding to a real situation that we have here in Denver, is the area around Union Station, not Union Station, but up at the clubs at Let Out. So but 19th and Blake, where we had a lot of shootings, a lot of um, violent crimes this summer, they were there was a move to stagger the closing time of bars, which bar owners really want, so you don't send a lot of drunks out on the street at 1.45 in the morning, but can stagger it. It's a great idea. Polis is behind it, but it got booted out of committee this this year, and it's too bad it should be considered. The Aurora camping ban is closer to becoming law, with the third vote coming soon due to a new amendment offered this week. Critics of the proposal fear Aurora doesn't have enough housing and shelter options to enforce the ban in a humane manner. In response to those concerns, Aurora lawmakers shared their support for a, a creating a new shelter at, a, at an Aurora Day Resource Center. Penn, we start with you on this one. Aurora, with uh, a more conservative uh, city council, we're probably going to see something like this. So this was expected. It's been on the horizon for a while. But are they approaching the other options in response to critics in the right way? This is a regional issue. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a combination of um, pricing people out of housing, not requiring developers to provide a broad array of affordable housing options, and then with the pandemic and people losing jobs or not going back to work, it's sort of the perfect storm and you have a number of people on the street. I, I won't deal with the mental health and substance abuse aspect of that. That's all there. Uh, I think the biggest criticism I've heard about what Aurora is contemplating is the fear that this housing ban is similar to 
the historic battle between prostitute over prostitution between Denver and Aurora, where everybody ups enforcement just to push the problem across the city boundary. And I think the biggest concern is that that's what Aurora's um, camping ban or uh, is designed to do. I, I do applaud the city council and Aurora for considering the fact that you've got to come up with some other alternatives rather than just pushing people around the city. You've got to come up with a way to provide some sort of housing or shelter or incentivize or create a regulatory environment where the nonprofit um, affordable housing or shelter companies and entities in your city want to provide the service. Right now, too many cities make it too difficult to expand your, your shelter capacity uh, with, with a myriad of, of conflicting you know, evaluations and inspections and regulations and you can't get it done. Uh, but it, it, this, there's going to be a response by other communities to what Aurora's done. It's going to be interesting to see what others do. Well, Marianne, on the same point, uh, do you think Aurora's neighbors will begin to maybe look at uh, whether it's camping bans or other options as uh, that legislation will likely affect those surrounding communities? Absolutely. And to, to Penn's point that this is a regional issue, it, he's absolutely correct. It reminds me of the old, the old song, uh, Henry VIII, I Am. <laughs> Second verse, same as the first. I mean, this, this seems, seems like we're about to see what happened in Denver, which led to lawsuits on their camping ban. And no real choices for, for people to, to become housed uh, is about to repeat itself in Aurora if they don't come up with a really solid solution on housing those who are unhoused. And I, I think they're, they're entering into a perilous path. I'm not sure that they have spent enough time looking at Denver's experience with this to avoid making the same mistakes. Somewhere Herman's Hermits is smiling, so uh, <laughs> well done there. Um, Patty, Aurora has, I don't want to say stolen the spotlight from Denver City Council because they will go ahead and, and prove that they are worthy of the crazy headlines, but certainly a lot of policy being driven from the metro areas coming out of Aurora and will probably continue to do so as that city becomes larger and larger. What do you think the impact of this probably becoming law by the time we chat next week? Well, I don't see a run on um, shelters in Strasburg, for example. I don't think everyone's going to be pushed east on I-70. But Mayor Mike Kaufman really looked at the political tea leaves when he planned this. He knew last summer he didn't really have the votes to push it through. Then the city council in Aurora became far more conservative in November when he proposed it. But he also looked at what had happened with the lawsuits in Denver, where you have to give advance notice. A federal judge said it had to be up to seven days. He's going with 72 hours, which I think he thinks will be okay. The other thing is you have to provide shelter. There have to be um, you cannot do sweeps in Denver if there's nowhere else for them to go. But the big issue is, so uh, building shelters makes sense, more shelter spaces in Aurora. But the big issue is a lot of the people who are encamped on the streets don't want to be in shelters for a variety of reasons. And that gets into the drug issues, that gets into the mental health issues, but it also gets into they want permanent homes, a lot of them, and shelters are not that. As we move forward to our fourth topic, as the fentanyl crisis... Oh, I'm so sorry, David. I was, I, I was sitting here going right to the next one. I jumped ahead. My apologies. David, your take on what we're seeing out of Aurora and the policies coming from the city council. Briefly, Aurora is going to take the, change the Aurora uh, Day Resource Center in, at uh, Montview and Wheeling into a full-time shelter for, for 75 people there. Uh, that'll cost Aurora $2 million initially to start it up. It's basically cost $77 to house 
a, uh, a, a vagrant uh, for one night um, in, in a facility like this, and they'll be taking that on as a permanent cost. And the bill that, that Mayor Kaufman and the council are approving uh, says you can't do sweeps unless there is shelter space for all the people in the encampment you're, you're sweeping. Now we will go to our fourth topic. As the fentanyl crisis continues, the Colorado State Legislature is considering ways to combat it. Strategies include a new bill that would increase the penalties for manufacturing or distributing fentanyl, as well as the hiring of Colorado's first commissioner of behavioral health, whose initial focus will be on overseeing mental health and addiction facilities. We have the great honor of being at, with, at the, here at the table with the person who broke the story at the capital of the bill that's covering this. Tell us what we need to know, Marianne. This is a bill that, that reminds me of another saying, which is that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Uh, there's something in this bill for everyone to like, and there's lots of people who are saying it doesn't go far enough, and that even includes the governor, who said that this is no silver bullet, and it, and it is a good first step in dealing with the fentanyl issue, but it is far from being the only solution that I think the state will come up with. The big issue, I think, for law enforcement, um, and they're the ones who've been the most vocal about uh, their objections to it, is that it doesn't deal with the possession issue. It doesn't deal with the 2019 legislation that decriminalized certain Schedule II drugs, which include heroin, coke, meth, and fentanyl. It's still a misdemeanor if you're caught with less than four grams of fentanyl, and that's a lot of fentanyl. That can kill 2,000 people. On the other hand, they did add some real teeth into the law to deal with distribution resulting in death, which is what uh, happened to the folks up in Commerce City who died back in February. And the DAs are very happy about that part of it. It's now a class one drug felony um, if, if you're distributing. But, they, the, but there's also a caveat there if you're a good Samaritan and you call 911, you, you've, you've distributed fentanyl to somebody, you call 911, you stay on scene, you uh, talk to the first responders and the police, um, they kick that charge down pretty, can kick it down pretty considerably, even if the person that got the fentanyl died. The other issue, of course, is uh, the behavioral side. They have put uh, a lot of money into uh, treatment and test strips and Narcan that is going to be available to the public. Um, and with the idea to the public that if you're using street drugs, and that even includes black market marijuana, there's fentanyl in it. Everything has got fentanyl in it. It, it doesn't even matter what you're taking anymore. So they want the public to avail themselves of these test strips and the Narcan so that before you take that pill, you test it to make sure that it doesn't have fentanyl in it because if you take it, that, that, that could be the end, the end of things. Patty, as we, as we wrap up, what, what did you make of the bill's introduction and the comments about it? Well, everyone knows something has to be done about fentanyl, and they did throw almost everything into this bill. There's going to be huge amounts of debate. It, the harm reduction people don't like it. The police don't think it goes, law enforcement doesn't think it goes far enough. The big issue is no one really realized how fentanyl was used and just how much four grams could do because it's lacing cocaine and it kills people. David, uh, a good compromise or a nothing burger? Uh, a very good thing about it is providing money for, in some cases, mandatory drug treatment for people who are arrested for possession. That's probably the most constructive thing in there. The thing about the four grams is it's four grams, whether it's pure fentanyl or whether it's highly adulterated as street drugs typically are. No guy who has four grams of pure fentanyl is hanging out on the concourse at Union Station uh, giving it out in minute eyedroppers. He's working in some lab where it's going to be cut up and with impurities, and those impurities are often what, the, what cause uh, 
death. The whole public health approach can be useful in some ways, like, yeah, have Narcan, Anamran, all that. But the problem is too many public health people have very narrow visions. They don't think holistically. So they're all they're thinking about the guy who's the, the drug abuser, but they're not thinking about the harm that drug abuser and his cohorts inflict on the well-being of the rest of the public by making public spaces uninhabitable. Pan, wrap it up for us. Um, really quickly, I think it's a good start. It's not comprehensive. We've got a societal problem. Um, this, I believe, is something that started as a prescription drug and now it's being abused, adulterated, and everything else. Uh, at some point, probably on the federal level, you're going to have to work backwards up the food chain and deal with the people who may have started this issue and are still financing it. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. Uh, as always, we start with Miss Calhoun, but we've been a little chatty today, so it'll be our, our faster edition. Patty. The same week the city drops charges against Matthew Doloff for killing a person at a protest, we have a man charged with a felony for taking a Sharpie and drawing a pickleball court in a, in a public center. David. In flagrant violation of the Colorado Constitution, the Denver City Council voted almost unanimously to give a million dollars in corporate welfare uh, to Pepsi to build a new bottling plant. Uh, kudos to uh, Councilwoman Sita uh, Baca for voting against it. Against it. Might want to save the tape on that one. That, 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 that's a good call. Uh, we go to we go to Penn. Uh, mine's also Denver City Council. Two things: for not respecting the need um, for separation of powers. If you give an auditor um, subpoena powers, uh, the response is to fix it, not to withdraw it because of any threat of a lawsuit, and then turn around in a week later and blister the auditor for doing their job when they're reporting on an issue with DIA's concession program. Marianne, I have a twofer. It's Ginny and. Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, the Washington Post this week has reported on text messages that Jenny Thomas sent to Mark Meadows, the Trump chief of staff, and it raises some real questions about a conflict of interest involving her husband. Time to say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. Peter Boyles, the one-time host at this table, who announced he's retiring this week from talk radio. Here, here. Uh, 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 very fittingly retiring on April 1st. David. And not only for his uh, great work as a host making this show into a, what it became, uh, but his whole career from the 1970s onward, uh, traffic reporter, disc jockey, K-A-T, K-L-A-K, K-W-B-Z, K-Y-B-G, K-O-A, K-H-O-W, and K-N-U-S. He was Mr. Denver Radio. You're here. Penn. Uh, the passing of Madden and Albright, uh, a historic figure, uh, a trailblazer, and a wonderful public servant. She'll be missed. Marianne. Uh, to Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, who went through the grist mill with the Senate Judiciary Committee and came through like a rock star. And I will end by saying something nice, but a great opportunity next week, March 29th, that's Tuesday, we have a wonderful screening and reception. We're in a brand new documentary from PBS 12, The Eye is the First Circle, all about women in abstract expressionism and the impact of missing their voices. And that's what will be the topic of the reception at 4.30. If you'd like to attend the reception and the screening at the Denver Art Museum, you can RSVP your, tick, your uh, place at the reception with an email to our friend Cassie Cooper at kcooper.pbs.com. PBS12.org, or you can attend the reception and get tickets at DenverArtMuseum.org. It's going to be a wonderful event. We hope you can join us. A wonderful reception with the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce at 4:30. The screenings at 6 o'clock. Just a, a great event. Tuesday, March 29th, next week. We hope to see you there. That is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out this week. For everybody here at PBS12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.